We come now to a, it's like a psalm, but it's a song, it's considered the song of Moses, Exodus 15, 1 through 21. And look what the Lord has done for them. They are so grateful, so thankful. The first thing they do is worship and sing. And you notice, who's the subject in this psalm? The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. I think at least ten times, the Lord. No mention of Moses, no mention of any person. It's the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And uh, we'll read through that as well. Exodus 15, 1 through 21. Let's hear God's word. Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. He has chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. With the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed, the mighty men of Moab. Trembling will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. The greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord. Till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which you are, your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea. The Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Beautiful psalm of praise. And you see it also in the last book of the Bible, Book of Revelation, the Song of Moses, and it's also called the Song of the Lamb. When uh, the devil 
and all, his, and all of Christ's enemies are thrown into the sea, and the final victory will be the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb. So, when I think of this psalm, I think of garlands. Garlands. And the first time I came across garlands, or the, the flowery wreaths, was at a certain occasion, and I saw a gentleman being cloaked with, or donned with, uh, wreaths of flowers around his neck. I'd never seen that before. I was amused by what was happening. And then I realized that often when there's guests that come, or distinguished guests, that sometimes a place of, or, or a uh, wreath of flowers and leaves are placed around the neck. You know, the image of a garland, or you could say mala, I think mala, or har, is also in the Bible. Think of Proverbs 4, verse 9. Wisdom is called a garland. 4, verse 9, it says of Proverbs, she will give you, so wisdom will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Well, that's a garland of splendor. It's a garland of fragrance, nice smelling and beautiful. Let's say that, I would submit to you that in Exodus 50, 1 through 18, you have garlands. Garlands of praise. Not flowers, but of praise. The lives of God's people just are as garlands, heaping praise upon the Lord. Or you could say the Hebrew name, <coughs> Yahweh. Line upon line upon line upon line. The congregation, the entire congregation, men, women, children of all ages, grandparents, are standing there, standing there victoriously on the other side of the sea. The Lord alone. Right? It's the Lord who has hurled, who has cast the Egyptian army into the sea, the enemy. And the first thing, the very first thing the redeemed people of God do is they adorn him. Adorn him with praise upon praise. I will sing. You could say this is the title of the psalm. Verse 1 is the title, is the theme. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. And then, after the congregation sings, then at the end, verses 18 through 21, you have the women responding. Miriam takes her timbrel, and she starts singing to the Lord. And all the other women take their timbrels, their cymbals, and they're dancing on the seashore. What a scene. What a sight. And what does Miriam sing? The very first line. Sing. It's like a command. Sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider is thrown into the sea. You know, this all leads us to the conclusion that God's people today too are called to adorn him with their lives, with everything who they are, their service, their work, their ties, their worship, all who they are, to adorn the Lord with his with praises for what he has done and what he will do. He is glorious. He's worthy. He's worthy of everything. He's worthy of our very lives as a means of thanksgiving to him for what he has done for us and saving us. Satan is defeated. Hallelujah. Death is overcome. The power of sin is broken. Jesus is ascended. He's Lord of heaven and earth. He's king. And no one can rival him. I will sing unto the Lord. We will sing today. 
For he has triumphed gorgeously. His grave is empty. Won't you come and see? It's the same. Same God. Same congregation. Just a different time. But far more richer, of course, in that it's fulfilled in Christ. It all points to Christ. So from these verses, Exodus 51 through 18, let's join in. Let's join in and adorn Yahweh, the Lord, our exalted king with garlands of praise. And we're going to see two things. Giving thanks, you see that in verses 1 through 12, giving thanks for what he has done. That, that's the whole focus of the first 12 verses, giving thanks. It's a form of thanksgiving. And second of all, expressing confidence for what he will do. Because what he has done, we can continue adorning him with garlands for what he will do in the future. We can do so with confidence, with certainty. So, verses 1 through 12. <coughs> Praises of the Lord. I just listed on every line. Every line. Garland after garland after garland after garland of praise for what he has done. He gave his people salvation. When they saw only bondage and death and Satan, there was no way out. No way out. And when the people saw that, they began to see salvation. That's everything. That's everything. I don't have anything else in my life, but I have salvation. That's everything. And when you have everything in Jesus, and you see that by faith, it's amazing how what happens? Gratitude takes the place of grumbling. Contentment takes the place of discontentment. We're going to see Israel grumbling in the next chapter already, already in this chapter a little later on. But they see the Lord and what he has done, and they break out on thanksgiving. I will sing unto the Lord. Why? For he has triumphed gloriously. Literally, it should say, for he has triumphed. To triumph. Triumph, triumph. I mean, just infinite triumph belongs to the Lord. Yes. He makes... Man makes to, or man likes to make proud boasts, doesn't he? Man loves to make proud boasts about himself. He thinks how big he is. But look what happened to that big, proud, powerful army. The Lord just, with his fingers, with the rod, flicked that army into the sea, horse and rider and all. Line by line, garlands of praise come from each and every member of the congregation. Men, women, boys, girls. And they're all adorning the exalted king, the Lord. Notice verse 2. It's very personal. My, my, every person coming with his garlands of praise. The Lord is my strength. Is he your strength? The Lord is my song. Is he your song? It's my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. And no one tell me different. And I will praise him. That word for praise there literally means uh, to beautify, to adorn with praises. It's just putting it on 
the Lord. He's my father's God. He's the God of my fathers. Indeed, they could say that because he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the living, the true and living God. Well, describes who he is, but the next verses, 3 through 10, really describe his actions for us, what he does to protect and to defend his people. You want somebody really strong to defend you? Look at these verses. Verse 3, the Lord is a man of war. A man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Well, the Lord has proven to be a man. A man of war. We have to think man here, not as with, with body parts, but it's an image connoting one who goes into the boxing ring and is going to take down our enemies for us. That's the image here. It's very powerful. The Lord, the boxer, you could say. The Lord, the warrior. He has proven it by hurling. That word for hurling is very strong. Just flicking off his fingers, the enemy, and throwing them into the sea. You think of the waters? The waters, were they a threat to God? The waters, they were his armor. They were a part of his armor. And he uses it. He created all things, and he can use the waters as he commands. The Lord is his name. Yeah, and he did become man. He became man in his only begotten son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He has proven, Christ has proven to be a man of war on behalf of his people, conquering Satan, conquering the hosts of Satan through the cross. The empty tomb, doesn't that prove it? The empty tomb proves that to the world. He is my strength. He is my song. You know, today, the battle station in the world is what? Is the word of God. It's the church. It's the pulpit. That's the battle station. That's Christ's battle station in the world today. And it's amazing. The power of his word that he commanded the sea is the same kind of power that brings down the pride of men. He brings the pride low and he brings the humble up. He breaks down the proud. He lifts up the humble. That's the Lord. And we know from the Bible, the ascended Lord Jesus will come again to hurl into the sea all who do not believe in him. <coughs> Even the nicest people in our eyes, if they not trusted and believed and placed their garlands upon him, all those who are opposed to him, he will hurl into the sea again. Psalm 24, verse 8. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. The man of war. The man of war. Garlands of praise continue to adorn the Lord, the man of war. You see something of a description of this man of war in verses 6 and 7. It talks about his arm, his right arm. See the power of his right arm. Verse 6 and 7. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. 
Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy to pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. You know, it's not saying that the Lord physically had a right arm, but it's, a, it's an image of his power, isn't it? Think of the rod of Moses that God commanded to stretch over the sea. You could say that's the arm of God symbolized in the rod. That was his powerful knockout punch, you could say. He was in the ring, and he's there to defend his people, and he will powerfully knock out his enemy. Sing of the greatness of his majesty who throws down his enemies and continues today. Those who rise up against him. You know that word there in verse 7, those who rise up against him has the image of one who just demolishes a wall before him. Think of a bulldozer just crushing the walls. That's the image here. That's the word used for God rising, or God throwing down those who rose up against him. There's another image here. He consumed them like stubble. What's stubble? Think of straw, right? Grains that's reduced to stubble. And usually reduced to stubble when there's a fire. He consumed the enemy like stubble. When? When he sent forth his burning anger. The word for sent forth is also the word let go. When he let it go, and it erupted. Of course, God does not get sinfully angry. He never does. We do. But this is God's just anger. That same word, let go, when God let go of his anger, is the same word that God used to say to Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Umpteen times, many times. Let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. God gave him so many times, so many opportunities to repent, to turn to him. And finally, God let it go. He let go of his anger, his burning anger. Wow. You think about our world today. You know, the, the, the need to proclaim this God. This is who God is. It's a great comfort to believers, but a warning to those who do not believe. People will get offended when you say this about God because they have different ideas of God. They'd like to make ideas of God that conform to what they want a God to be. But, again, we have to go to what reality is. What does God say about himself? Who does God say who he is? God does not tolerate evil. He does get angry. He does smash his foes. And, you know, he shows his majesty in doing so. He doesn't only show his majesty and his love and his grace and his power. But in defending you and protecting you, he shows his majesty in smashing the enemy. That's what the end times are going to be too. He will smash, bring down his enemies. He is my salvation. Wow, what a strong God you have. In light of all the hardships Christians face in the world today, he's the God of my salvation. He's my song. He's my God. Is this God your song? Can you accept him in this way? This is who he is. What a savior. What a powerful savior. What love he has for you, for his people. 
Adorn him. Throw upon him. Heap your lives upon him with garlands of praise and adoration. Who is he? The Lord. Yahweh. That's his name. That's his name. You know, talks about his right, right arm, or you could say his right hand. The man of war with the right hand. But also talked about the man of war with his nostrils. The breath of his nostrils. That's another image, another description. It's not actually that God has nostrils, but it's an image to convey to us the power of the Lord. Verses 8 through 10. The powerful east wind. Remember the, the sea was separated? God used a powerful east wind to separate the waters, to divide the waters and form a path, a dry path through the sea. But look at verse 8. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together the flood stood upright like a heap, like a wall. The depths drew itself together in the heart of the sea. Yeah, the wind is described as coming from him as if he had blown that from his nostrils. Not just nature. You know, you see the volcano in, in Hawaii today and the, the lava pouring forth, the earthquakes. It's the Lord. It's the Lord at work. Here, the winds are seen as the wind, the breath of his nostrils. You know, when you come to know who God is, you begin to see how ridiculous man is when he boasts, when he's arrogant. How silly, how dumb. And yet, that's the only other thing you see in this passage. When you come to see verse 9, it brings out the arrogance of man. I, 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 I. You hear a lot of people talk about that? I, 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 I. Me, 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 me. It's the exact opposite. And now he quotes the enemy. Verse 9. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied. In other words, I will satisfy my lust. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Oh, what empty, proud boasts. Do they not know God? Not know who he is? It's a lot of hot air. You think of a balloon that you blow up. It looks really big. But you pick it, and it's gone. Nothing. Man is but a vapor. The Lord shows us who he is. Let's, let's put fragrances of praise upon him. Garlands of praise. You blew with your wind. That's the response. You blew with your wind. You sea covered them. They sank like lead in mighty waters. Wow. This is your God. Your God. You know, we live in a world, we live in a city where... <clears throat> People worship many different gods. You go to temples, and people will place garlands on, over the heads of their gods. Many, many garlands. But verse 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord? It says it two times. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? The answer is, no one. Yes, the nations... The peoples will adorn their gods with garlands of flowers, 
So you know what? These gods can't do anything. There's nothing to praise them for. And so they try to make their gods look beautiful, but the only thing they can do is put some flowers on them, and they're nothing. They can't do anything for them. But look at the Lord. Look at Yahweh. Look at His power. Look at the wonders. Who is like you? Verse 12. Glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. You stretched out, there's a right hand again. You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. Glorious in holiness. Punishing sinners who do not come to him and trust in Christ. Yet redeeming his people, the chosen people, from the power of sin. All filled praises. This is your God. This is, this is the true and living God who has made himself known to us. In Christ Jesus. This is who Christ is. This is who Yahweh is. Yahweh is Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. This is Christ. Look at Revelation 19. You have a very similar image portraying Christ as you see God being portrayed here in Exodus 15. Very powerful. Who is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Let us adorn Jesus with our lives. He's worthy. He did what we could never do. And that is save us from hell. Save us from death. Save us from our enemies. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, by Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. In our work, in our worship, in our relationships. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. By giving thanks. Yeah. You know when we give thanks? That's also the time when we can be really confident in the Lord. Not in ourselves. We, there is no confidence in ourselves before, before the Lord. No, the Lord is our confidence. And he brings that out in verses 13 through 18. We can adorn him with garlands of praise, because not only because of what he has done for us, but because we know what he will do for his people. We know. And that brings us to those verses 13 to 18. God's people sing here to the Lord because they know their future is certain. We don't need to go to future tellers or fortune tellers. The Lord has it all laid out for his people. He is their king. He is their shepherd. And you'll notice in verses 14 through 16, as shepherd and as king, he will guide you through all the terrors by day and the terrors by night. He will guide you. He will direct your path through all those hardships, through all your enemies. That's the first thing, 14 to 16. He will guide his church. He will bring them through troubled waters. Even if the earth should fall apart. That's the first thing. And the second thing, he will bring his people, he will bring you to his chosen inheritance, the new heaven and a new earth. That's the confidence. That's the, that's the future plan. And you can be certain of it. Israel sang about that. Verse 13, 
They sang at the seashore as if the future had already happened. <laughs> you notice it's all in past tense? They're so sure about the future, they're singing in past tense. In your mercy, you have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. What's this holy habitation? It's Canaan. They're not there in Canaan yet. They're not in the promised land yet. But they're always singing as if it has already happened. Wow, heaps of praise. Garlands of praise. Let's look at those two points briefly. That the Lord is king and he will bring us through all... He'll bring us through the midst of our enemies. Our enemies are many. You hear the news. You hear the persecution. You hear of how... Christians are being marginalized. But here too, God says that his people would pass through the enemy nations. They would be scary. They would be scary. And verse 14 to 16 mentions four such nations that they would have to pass through. Philistia, Edom, Moab, and Canaan. Those would be the lands that they would have to go through. But God is saying, and they're singing about this, there is no need to fear the Lord is king in the midst of the nation. He's the God of the Exodus. He's the God of the Red Sea. He's the Lord over his enemies. You know what else? They don't need to be afraid, but the people who hear about this God, they will be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the people of Philistia, it says in verse 14. The chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab will tremble. And Canaan they will melt away. Fear and dread will fall upon them. Why? Because they come to know the Lord, who he is. His arm is great. And what do we do? We adorn him with garlands of praise. God, you're able to smash. We praise you. You're able to bring down in order to save us. In ourselves, we can't. But the Lord is able. And we know today that conquest has been accomplished in Christ. Who's Lord today? Jesus. He's king. He ascended into heaven. Forty days after he arose again from the dead. He sits at God's right hand. With all power and authority in heaven and on earth. Do not be anxious, he would say. Don't be worried. Don't be dismayed. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows he's running the affairs of the world from heaven through the kings and through the princes of the earth. He's doing everything. He knows what he's doing. The king in your midst of the nations is crowned with glory and honor. Praise him. Throw your life on him. Let that be your garlands of praise. Psalm 47, sing praises to him. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises. You know, it's no different today. You notice that when you share Jesus with other people, or the word, there's often a strong reaction. Why? Well, fear. They're afraid. They want to keep that away. They want to avoid him. They don't want to deal with him. 
And sometimes it leads to persecution. But it's all out of fear. They hear him. They become afraid. They know there's something that rings true, but they don't want to deal with him. Better to get rid of the Christian than to deal with him. That's how the world reacts today. It's still the same. Fear, dismay. They hold the word at arm's length. You think about it. It shouldn't surprise us. That's why governments want to keep the word out of the halls of power. They don't want prayer there. They want to keep the word out of universities and their schools. Why? Because when the word is there, it exposes, it brings to light of the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Oh, people are still afraid. People are still afraid. You notice the word of God is powerful. And you see the word doing the same thing what God did to the Egyptians at the Red Sea. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5 talks about the power of the word. It's mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. People are afraid of that. They want to hide behind those strongholds. Casting down arguments. Every high thing that exalts itself against God. And it brings every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. You know, people run from God when they should be running to him and finding shelter in Christ. But yeah, that takes a lot of humility. It takes repentance. You know, but we can be confident. Christ will continue to grow his kingdom on earth. That rod that, 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 that did its work at the Red Sea, he does his work today by his word, the preaching of the word, and by his spirit. Are you confident of that? Are you confident that he can change a person that you think that can never change? Adorn him. Praise him. Praise your ascended king. Being confident that he will reign until he has put all things under his feet. And the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. He continues to conquer. And yes, he will bring us through the path, even through the path of terror of our enemies and he will lead us and bring us to that inheritance that glorious inheritance see verse 17 the Lord will bring his people into the land of promise what is the land of promise Canaan the land of rest verse 17 you will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance in the place O Lord which you have made for your dwelling the sanctuary O Lord which your hands have established the Lord promised that he would bring his people into the land of Canaan. And he did. Psalm 78. And he brought them to his holy border, this mountain which his right hand acquired. Where did God acquire this mountain, this land? From the enemies. His people possessed it because God's, God acquired it for them. And this Canaan is a picture of the new heavens and the new earth to come. We know that Christ is more than, the, more than David. David sat on the throne in Canaan, but Christ sits in the heavens on the throne over the world. It's a picture. Canaan is, and it's fulfilled in the inheritance Christ has obtained for his people through his resurrection from the dead. The new heavens, the new earth, the dwelling place of God, his temple. This is the new Canaan. This earth, Bible says, will be the new Canaan 
the land of rest for his people. Yes, one day, the city of Satan, the city of man, will be thrown, will be cast into the sea. And then you have the song of Moses, of Exodus 15, come to his glorious climax, come to his glorious song, you could say at the end of history in Revelation 15. And there you see the image of his people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. The church throughout all the world standing on the sea of glass, victorious in Christ. And what are they playing? Harps. That's the image there. They won't be literally playing harps, but they'll be singing. They will sing the song of Moses, and it says, and the song of the Lamb, singing this, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord. Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Amen and amen. And verse 18 says, and you, Lord, shall reign forever and ever and ever. Conclusion. Let's adorn, let's adorn our Savior with garlands of praise, giving thanks to what he has done for us. You feel thankful? Are you thankful? He wants your heart. Let's adorn him with the confidence that we have because of what he, what he will do for us in Christ. Something that we need to answer ourselves. Does my life, does my work, does my worship, does my tithe, my offerings that I offer to the Lord on Sunday, does it show, does it reflect the garlands of praise that he desires, that the Lord loves from his people? It's not about I. It's about the Lord. The Lord. How are these like garlands of praise adorning your Savior? Let's give thanks. Enough. How can we give thanks enough? How can we give thanks enough for all that he has done for us? Let's offer him our lives, our all. To him be the glory. Amen.